Hello, everyone. What's splashing? Welcome to another episode of Siren Sundays with me, your host, Lashanti the Siren. Today, our guest is Dr. Ethan Freed, who is a botanist, and he works at the Bahamas National Trust Leon Levy Native Plant Preserve in Eleuthera. So great to have you here. Welcome, Ethan. It's great to be here to talk to you today, Lashanti. Yes, I am excited. This topic is a very interesting one. We will be talking about weeds in the Bahamas. But before we dive into the topic, can you give us a brief intro? Maybe give us your official title. I'm not sure if it is that standard botanist or I don't know, maybe senior botanist. Um, and then just, you know, kind of talk about your background. Like how was your journey into becoming a botanist? Uh, so my title is actually botanist. That is as official as it gets. Um, so as you uh, said, I work for the National Trust, and I'm here at the Leon Levy Native Plant Preserve here on Eleuthera, uh, which is this 25-acre native plant preserve slash botanical garden. Um, and my journey to being here at this particular garden goes back all the way to my early childhood. Um, uh, I grew up in a family where we had lots of animals and lots of science going on, but after growing up with all the animals, I said, I, I don't, I don't want to study animals. <laughs> They're not nearly as much fun as plants. Um, and at the same time, as a kid, I started doing like gardening and little bits of landscaping just to earn some extra money in the afternoons after school kind of thing. And that's where I really just grew to love plants and love studying them. Uh, and then immediately as I went off to college, I got my undergraduate degree in botany uh, and then went off to graduate school. And that's kind of how I ended up here in the Bahamas, which is I ended up at Miami University uh, in Ohio not the University of Miami in Miami, but the one in Ohio. And what I discovered after a childhood of growing up in Southern California is that there are locations in the planet where frozen water will fall out of the sky. Um, and I found this very dramatic. <laughs> oh, snow. Oh my yeah, God. Snow. <laughs> you just see my face like frozen water falling out the sky. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's dramatic to think about it that way. You know, it's like, whoa, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, and that's how I ended up starting doing work in the Bahamas because oh, it was much nicer to be here than uh, than Ohio. And it was just kind of one thing led to another. One project led to the next project, next to the next project, and then ended up here at this fantastic place, being able to use all the knowledge I gained about the plants of the Bahamas to create a garden that was just about the plants of the Bahamas. Yes, I know the Leon Levy Native Plant Preserve, which is actually in Governor's Harbor, Eleuthera, is definitely one of my favorite national parks, especially terrestrial parks, because I am obviously favoring marine a bit more. But if anyone does have the chance to go, I always recommend that they get to that park because it's amazing to see the diversity, you know, in our plants here. Um, and what's even more interesting is the fact that we have weeds here. And I am so excited to talk to you about this topic because I want to figure out and I want the people to understand, you know, like, what is a weed? And where is this concept of weeds coming from if all plants are supposed to just kind of be doing the, their own thing, which is naturally occurring, right? All right. So when you asked me about the subject about let's talk about weeds, it was like, well, that's actually quite a big loaded subject because uh, it's not a technical botanical term. So we don't have an exact definition. So everybody thinks about it differently. Um, and as a word, we use it differently because we'll use it both as a noun, something that can be a weed. We can use it as a verb to actually go and weed your garden. It's something you're actively doing. Or we can use it as an adjective to describe something as being weedy uh, in some regard. Um, and this kind of goes back to sort of what the what a, our modern version of uh, what a weed is. And now, today, we define it as just a, a plant out of place. 
So if it's something you don't want in your garden, in your yard, then it's a weed. If you do want it in your garden, then it's not a weed. Uh, and it's really particular to you. Um, now, the origins of the word weed, that actually goes all the way back to like proto-Germanic, like old Anglo-Saxon English kind of thing, okay. uh, which I want to say the word was like weird or weird or something like that. And whatever the pronunciation of proto-Germanic is. Yeah. Um, but the term, you know, in its sort of modern use is, goes back to as far back as the 1600s. Um, and it used to be where something was, we talked about something being very, very common. And there were a lot of food crops or other crops that were referred to as a weed. So we actually goes back to as, as far as 1600, where we talk about tobacco weed. And that's how it was referred, tobacco weed, because it was a very common plant. It was easy to grow. It was very abundant. Um, and the same thing, actually, the reference to marijuana goes back to the 1920s when people talked about that marijuana weed. And it was because it was just very, very common. Uh, it was grown a lot because it was grown for hemp rope. Um, so it was very important in a lot of it, any industry that involved rope had a lot of hemp growing, thus a lot of marijuana growing. Thus, it was very weedy because it spread a lot of seeds. So then it then transferred to becoming the weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did always wonder too, like what what about the word weed is now being applied to marijuana? Like, oh, that's weed. And it's like, but then that's, you know, I always wanted maybe it was just because weeds are considered a negative thing. And then obviously marijuana on a large scale is considered negative. But, yeah. um, so. you know, and it just goes back to something being abundant. And when we think of today as abundant, we might necessarily think of it more like problematic or invasive. You know, but people didn't really think about it in those terms. So if we were growing lots of it for, let's say, farming. It's going to generally escape out into other areas from those farms because there's going to be so much seed production. All right. So we do have a quick question in the audience. I'll pop it up now. Okay. Some weeds have such pretty flowers. How do you know what is a weed over a regular plant? Well, this goes back to it. Is it out of place? So if you look at that plant in your garden, you say, wow, that's a beautiful flower. I like that. It has butterflies coming in and bees. That's awesome. Then it's not a weed. Then yeah. it's just a beautiful plant in your yard. Yeah. So I think one of the things I am also interested in learning about with this topic is, you know, some of the common weeds in the Bahamas, because we do have this general sense of if you see that particular plant growing in your lawn or in your garden, this is a weed. Can you maybe talk about what are some of the common types of plants that we consider weeds here? Um, certainly there are some that are we all consider weedy and it's a, it has to do with something that, about that plant that we find annoying. So a very common one is shepherd's needle yeah. or Biden's alba. And it gets all the, you know, the things that get stuck in your socks and in your clothes and ends up in your laundry and on your floor and all that stuff. And so because of that, you don't want it. Mm -hmm. And so at, you, you look to get rid of it. On the other hand, if you like butterflies and you like bees, shepherd's needle's great for that because it attracts in all kinds of pollinators. And it has a pretty yellow and white flower. It's just yeah. that once it goes to fruit, it's really kind of annoying. Uh, kind of thing. Uh, another one would be something like um, sandburrs, mm. like sandburrs on the beach. We all hate those because they stick in our feet and they're painful and stuff like that, but they're super great for holding in dunes and things like that. So when we want that dune to be happy and alive, we're like, that's an awesome plant. When we're walking on it and it's getting stuck in our foot, we're like, no, that's a weed. Mm -hmm. So I guess it'd be safe to say that 
a weed is pretty much just something that annoys humans more than anything, because I don't think that there are any other animals that particularly dislike any sort of plant, correct? I don't know. I bet there's a few dogs out there that don't like sandburrs. <laughs> <laughs> so we have another question. Um, so can a weed also be used to speak about invasive species? Uh, yes. Um, now, what we can say is that not all weeds are invasive species, but we can certainly say all invasive species are weeds. Uh, and that goes back to, is it a plant out of place? And if it's an invasive species and non-native, then it's definitely out of place. Now that we can do the reverse, which is talking about something like shepherd's needle. Now, that is a native species. It naturally occurs here. It's not disrupting any other species. In fact, it's a a part of the community and stuff like that. So it's really about uh, that the two can be used together, but they're not synonymous. They don't mean the same thing. Yeah, but I guess they all, like you said earlier, with that whole adjective of being weedy, they all kind of fall in that, you know, yes. category. And I guess I'm also curious about, and I, I think you said it before, but I'm just looking to ask again, what about that plant makes it weedy? Like, why is it so fast growing? Is it because it disperses its seeds so well, or is it just that resilient? Well, it's going to be a combination number of things. Uh, when we think of things that are weedy or weeds, they tend to grow in disturbed environments or human altered environments. And so there are going to be those areas around us because we're the humans, we're the ones altering this environment. Uh, so they will do well in that environment and they'll do well in that environment because they can take the disturbance. Uh, and then they also have tendencies like produce either a lot of seeds or produce some sort of fruit that's attractive. This, let's say something like a bird uh, mm -hmm. that it might help it disperse over longer distances. And so that ability to grow in a, in a, in a disturbed environment, be reproductive when conditions are not all that great. Uh, and then when you are reproductive, be very reproductive. Mm -hmm. And so it also tends to help to have a shorter life cycle but not always in that you're producing more seeds and continually produce oh. a lot of seeds in a short period of time. Yeah, that does make sense. I know we do have another question about like vines. So yes, some weeds are vines. Some vines are weeds too, right? They seem to strangle some plants. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it comes down to, is it a plant out of place? If it's taking over and covering up a plant that you like, then yeah, that's a weed. That's a problem. Um, we have morning glories here. Um, they're very common, again, in disturbed uh, human-altered environments. So when you've had clearing done, they will come in and they can grow very, very quickly and they will smother other plants. Now, some will strangle and then others will smother. Uh, See, and those tend to smother. I think that's so interesting that you keep using the phrase uh, the human-altered environments because we're the ones that hate the weeds, but... We're actually the ones that are causing them, you know, to come into this area because we turn our yards into just this grass lawn. And then we get mad when we see things pop up like these shepherd's needles. We want to mm -hmm. pull them out the ground rather than leaving, you know, your yard in a more natural state, which in some ways can be a little difficult. But I think, I guess maybe we just need more natural landscaping to kind of well, You know, it's, it's always about your perception. You know, we're talking about, a, a, is it a, a plant out of place? Well, that's how you perceive it to be. You know, does it have to be in an environment that caters only to yourself, in which case most things are going to be not something you want? Or is it an environment that you're part of that environment and interacting with that environment, not necessarily dominating that environment? Right. 
And one of the questions that I had sent about weeds being detrimental ties into the topic of that whole strangle and smother concept. And just out of curiosity, I know I see love vine a lot, which is considered a weed, but I know that we also have used it in like bush medicine and stuff. But when you see them growing in those large numbers, are they smothering those plants or are they actually strangling? Like, uh, I don't know. Well, actually, neither. Um, well, I mean, neither and both. So uh, <laughs> unlike the others, we talk about vines, they're literally just growing on top of something. And maybe as they wrap around it, they're starting to strangle it. But love vine is an actual true parasite. So it actually has hostoria, you know, you know, essentially roots that go directly into the plant and will pull nutrients out of that plant. Oh. So they can grow enough to cover it, in which case they are smothering it, uh, but mostly they're draining it rather than, than strangling it. So they're taking away nutrients, not allowing it to, you know, form leaves and starving it of energy and stuff like that. It, we, it's, we don't generally consider it problematic. It is a native species. And what we see is that it goes with uh, the seasonal cycles. Mm. So as we are in our dry season, entering into the spring, uh, plants are their most stressed out because we've gone through the winter drought period. And that allows the, the love vine to start growing more and more. And then as the rain starts, plants tend to outgrow the love vine. So it can be problematic, but it doesn't often actually kill something. And so I'm so happy someone asked this question because I know this is one of my favorite things to ask you. So this person is asking, do, and this is actually my aunt, so hi, Aunt Denise. <laughs> do any weeds produce fruit? And I know that the topic of people always just asking, well, can I eat this plant is a very interesting one with you, correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so when we talk about something producing a fruit, uh, that is true of all flowering plants. So mm -hmm. all flowering plants, and by definition, if you're a flowering plant, you're going to produce a fruit. Now, is it a fruit the way we think of it as a nice tasty fruit that I'm going to go to the store and buy and eat and, and enjoy? Uh, no, many of the fruits are, are small or they're dry, uh, that split open to release seeds and stuff like that. So as long as it's a flowering plant, it will produce a fruit. Whether it produces a fruit that you can eat and enjoy is a different question. So I know um, one thing I always wondered, and this might take us a little off topic really quickly, is how did, I mean, I don't know, what made humans decide to pick through and just taste all these different fruits? And, you know, eventually we obviously found out which ones are poison, which ones we could eat, which ones taste good. But do you have to know any sort of history of humans discovering edible fruits? <laughs> oh, it's a long history. And no, it's not something that's recorded down. I mean, not largely yeah. recorded down. Um, the stuff that is recorded down is not that we discovered a fruit, it's that it's largely some European discovered that someone else has a fruit and then recorded it down that it could be eaten. But in terms of like going back into the mists of time to understand like, hey, we can eat this fruit or versus not eat that fruit, it was trial and error. Uh, mm -hmm. It was people eating things and then dying and people going, right. hey, don't eat that. Um, <laughs> I've often heard from Bahamians, and I think this is probably something people have done for a long time, is if you're unsure if you can eat something here, feed it to a goat. And if the goat won't eat it, then don't eat it. Oh, wow. Okay, I thought you were going to say, because I know people always say, if you want to find out if a barracuda is poisonous, give it to your dog, and if your dog dies, yeah. then it's fine. But it's good to hear that goats have enough of a smell to know, you know. Cause yeah, most animals will not eat something that's going to be poisonous or toxic to them. Yeah. Uh, outside us. humans yes <laughs> which seems to be the case on a fairly regular basis 
Um, you know, I would say in general, if you're looking at the world around you, the vast majority of things you should not just grab and stick in your mouth. Uh, that the vast majority of them are actually toxic at some level. Um, and the percentage of plants that are out there that we can eat and not have problems with is actually pretty, pretty small. Really? Yeah. See, that's so interesting. And I'm just going to stay in this vein just a little longer because I've recently started watching a lot of, um, you know, Instagram or influencers and YouTubers who are really getting into or advertising or publicizing this foraging concept. And I always wondered if that was something, can we forage in the Bahamas? Like, I don't, do we get enough mushroom variety? Do we get enough like berry varieties to actually say, oh, I'm going to just go and forage? No, darn. No, no, no. You, you could if your foraging <laughs> included going out to the reef and getting some conch and some lobster and some grouper. Yeah. It would be very difficult to forage here. Um, we, don't, we go through long periods of the year where there just isn't that much fruit produced. Uh, so yes, yeah, seed grapes are awesome, but they're only awesome for like two weeks of the year, you know, or mm -hmm. things like that. Or cocoa plums. Yeah, we get cocoa plums, you know, a little more often, but overall, yeah, there's just a lot, of, a lot more stuff out there that's toxic than not toxic and just not plentiful enough unless your entire existence was nothing but gathering things to eat and that was your entire existence which we would not be able to do here in our coffee forests no or support this number of people like the, the bahamas never supported millions of people it just wouldn't have had the landscape to be able to do that right um, so, and the last point before we pivot back into the topic, um, and I just a little shout out to the Leon Levy Native Plant Preserve. There is that tree there, and I can never remember the proper name. I think Mastic. Mastic. Yeah. It has that apple, and I remember you. It was you and Mark that day that pointed out that there was somebody who wrote in the book, like, "Oh, it's the fruit has sweet death" or something like that. And it was this debate of, how do you know, like? Did you find out it tasted good or did you give it to somebody and ask them, well, hey, does this taste good? We, we, are we talking about mastic or are we talking about manchineal? It might be the manchineal one then. Manchineal is actually lone. Yeah. And that is, has an like a fruit that's like an apple. And that has a long history of being extremely toxic and people using it as a poison to actually kill people. Uh, that was one of the ways I want to say... Uh, in Hispaniola, they were standing up to, was it the Spanish or the French? Something like that. The, <laughs> killing off their colonial powers by using extracts of manchineal. So, so which one is the one that's in the preserve? We have both of them. So we have oh. mastics here, uh, which are long known. They were a wood carving tree. We use them in built buildings. But then in, we have a poisonous plant section, and we have a manchineal growing there uh, so mm -hmm. we can talk about it. Right. So, and my point to advertise is if you want to know what these poisonous plants look like, head on down to Eleuthera, do a lovely tour so that you can see and learn these things. So if you ever decide to explore the bush, you know what these things look like. Um, but to take it back to the topic of weeds in the Bahamas. Um, so bush medicines like Cerise, is that considered a weed? And again, I know we talked about it's a plant out of place, but I guess I also want to add to that question. Do those smother or strangle? Uh, yes, they can to a certain degree. Um, you'll often see them on like fence lines yeah. and, like that, and it'll cover that fence line. They don't tend to smother because they die back every year and largely are, are, are essentially are close to being annuals. They don't live, that same vine doesn't live, you know, year after year after year. So even if it covers something, it's going to die back at some point before it can kill anything. So but it's 
is it a weed? If you want it in your yard, then it's not a weed. Um, right. If it's going to cover and kill something that you like, then it's a problem. Right. And so I remember when we initially talked about having this episode, which literally, like I said earlier, it was like two years ago, right before I went to my master's. I remember that you had talked about studying, you know, some of the classical weeds in the Bahamas. And I just wondered what kind of studies did you do or did you think about doing and, and where is where are you with that? Right um, it's not so much that I was studying individual weeds is that we have sort of a long-term project to understand plant distributions in the Bahamas. Uh, and so those are ones where we've always looked to just try and, and understand just how far and widespread they are. Um, I also on track to try and have a, a digital flora of the Bahamas. So been trying to track down all of these weeds so I can get pictures so I can get them online for people. Uh, so it's been both tracking it down just for documentation and tracking it down for website work. Um, but nothing in particular about those weeds in terms of how they grow or things like that. And that's just, that isn't the kind of work that I do. I do ecology and, and taxonomy. Uh, okay. So once I know where it is and what it's doing, I'm like, yeah, all right, on to the next one. Right. So do you, um, just to talk a little bit more about you and what you might be currently working on in general, do you only focus on plants still right now? Or do you sometimes you dive into herbs a little bit? I know you did a little studying with the seahorses for a while. Um, I focus entirely on plants. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, I do help out on lots of other different people's projects. So mm -hmm. with the seahorses, when uh, Heather's in town looking at uh, research there, I'm always happy to give a, a helping hand and stuff like that. And I love nature, so I like to be out there experiencing things. But my own work is very focused on plant conservation. Mm -hmm. um, and with the Levy Reserve, our biggest thing right now has been uh, the global strategy for plant conservation, which is this big, large, global, overarching strategy uh, that's part of the Convention on Biological Diversity. And so it's really a, tar a list of targets, 16 targets that each country should be looking to implement to make sure that we have uh, uh, plant conservation going on. And so that that strategy is essentially the backbone of our conservation work here. Okay. And it's great for me because I get to look at the list and be like, oh, that's the next thing on the list to work on. Okay, that's the next thing on the list to work on. So is that just growing a bunch of different trees or is it? Well, it's 16 targets. Uh, each target is a different type of focus and uh, what we need to do to do plant conservation. So target, and they're not in a particular order of importance, but the mm -hmm. first target is to have a digital online flora. And the reason they want that for plant conservation is so people can have access to this information about what the plant is, how it's described, distributional information. And because we can do this in the digital age, lots of pictures for how they can be identified and how you recognize it and stuff like that. So that's a target. Um, that's just slowly writing up the descriptions and trying to find the imagery. Uh, another target is something that we do at sort of the national trust level. Uh, which yeah. is what's called in-situ conservation, so in-place conservation. And this is essentially what we call parks. So when we have a species that we want to protect, whether it is a seahorse in a lake or a parrot in South Abaco or the flamingos in Great Inagua or the iguanas on Andros, we go to where they're naturally living and naturally doing all of the stuff that they do and then create a big park and protect them so they can just keep doing whatever they do. You know, kind of thing. And that's we do that here at the preserve because we have plants that are uh, endemic to the Bahamas that we protect here. 
Um, but the other side of in-situ uh, conservation is what we call ex-situ conservation, which goes back to your first question of growing plants. Uh, so the idea with ex-situ conservation is that we can't always create a park uh, right. for whatever reason. It's on privately owned lands or whatever the reason is. Uh, so we go and collect material in place of plants, fruit, seeds, and then grow them. Uh, and the idea is how do you make a rare and endangered plant not rare and endangered? Well, you grow a lot of them and then right. you spread them around. Mm -hmm. And that way, if something happens in one location, that's okay because we have lots of them. Uh, so we do a fair amount of that work. Um, but then it also involves uh, training and teaching and liaising with other organizations around uh, the Caribbean, uh, around the Bahamas. So being available to assist, whether it's Department of Forestry uh, or, you know, what, whatever the, the, the group is, that we have that plant knowledge and available to help them. Right. Um, and so of the, of the 16 targets, we're on track at just at the preserve alone to fulfill eight of those targets Lovely. and through the National Trust 11 uh, total. Awesome. So how can people um, get involved with some of the work that you're doing or some of the work of the preserve or the trust as a whole? Uh, well, certainly, first of all, uh, to come out and support the, the organization. So coming to the National Trust, uh, we can always have need for financial support, but also support when it comes to visiting our parks, coming and using our parks, showing that they are uh, uh, a resource that Bahamians want and want to have more of. If people are not coming to parks and they're not being used, it's hard to make an argument uh, beyond just uh, saving something that a park should be created. And it's great to create a park to save something, but we should also be working with parks because it gives people access and stuff like that. But if people aren't accessing it, it's hard to make that, that argument. Um, and then the last thing I would say is try grow as many natives in your yard as you can possibly can. Um, the more individuals that have these species in their yards, the more sort of, sort of, it's not sort of, meta habitat or beta habitat i don't know what the greek term would be uh that we don't have natural systems but if we have enough of these species in yards and we still have a lot of organisms that it can support right i know that you guys and i'm going to try to pop your website into the comments you guys do have a database and uh, on your website of mm -hmm. all the native plants correct mm -hmm. in the bahamas so i do encourage people to check out that link because um, they do have pictures there. They have the scientific names, some of the common names, and you can look and see like if, if this is the type of plant that you have in your yard, you can grow more of. Um, do you want to talk about, do you guys have volunteer opportunities? I know there's an internship that may have not run this year because of COVID, but for maybe students who are interested in studying some of these plant sciences, like how can, how can they, I guess, I have your email up top, but how can they connect with the trust at the Leon Levy Native Plant Preserve to get a bit involved in this? Uh, so certainly uh, we have volunteers that come in here. Uh, obviously, there are Luthra volunteers, primarily high school students coming in. Uh, and we always work with them. It's uh, on learning how to do you know, like collecting fruits, planting natives, growing plants and things like that. Um, we certainly always have need for volunteers for weeding at the preserve. Because <laughs> um, we do have beds that we do keep plants that we want there and other mm -hmm. plants out. Um, and I would say the other big way to get involved is uh, really about what you do in your own yard. You know, yeah. that's your, your biggest involvement is what you as an individual do. 
Yeah, and I'm, love, I'm happy that you said that because my next question is that whole final thoughts to viewers. And if you can maybe talk a little bit about like things that people can do in their own yard. And I know one of the biggest things that I feel people should try to do is less of just having these green lawns, you know, and more of having actual trees and plants. So can you give us some thoughts for viewers to kind of do so they can take this information into their literal own homes? Yeah. All right. I, I, that's a great uh, thought. So in terms of what people can do, um, I would say the first thing is to try and plant things that are not just for your own benefit. Um, most people are like, I want pretty flowers. I want pretty flowers. And you're like, okay, well, if you think about Bahamian plants in general, we don't have a lot of big showy flowers. We have a few that are pretty, th you know, but the individual flowers themselves are not large. And right. some of our sages have beautiful flowers and stuff like that. But in general, when people are thinking about, oh, I want to show you flower, they end up thinking about two or three different things, uh, which I would list under the term horticultural trash. Um, <laughs> it's the, uh, hibiscus, sorry. It's, it's the thing that everybody has. It's just yeah. the, the most common species out there. Um, Bougainvilleas? This is going to be Bougainvillea and it's going to be uh, oleander. And then it's like the three main things because they flower all the time. They have pink flowers and red flowers and stuff like that. They're, you don't have to do anything to grow them um, because they are, I don't know if they're weeds, but they certainly are ones that are, are easy to do from cuttings and you don't have to grow from seed. But in general, outside of the, oh, I see something pretty, they add absolutely nothing to the environment in that they're not supporting any birds, they're not supporting yeah. any bees, any butterflies. You know, anything like that. Uh, on top of which, ones like oleander are just horrendously toxic, and you should never have that around any small children. But oh, the, wow. Oh, yeah. The oleander is extremely toxic. You should. See, I've always heard that, but I always thought it was just, oh, you have to make a tea and then give the person the tea. Yes, yeah. It's just, yeah, you have to do something really dumb to get poisoned by it. But, you which know, a little kid would do. Exactly. It's <laughs> a little kid would grab something and stick it in their mouth. <laughs> you know, it's not something you would worry, let's say, about a five-year-old, but you might worry about, let's say, with a two-year-old. Yeah, for sure. You know, okay. So um, if you just, just look beyond those things. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to have this thing because it's easy and I can grow this because it's easy and because it's available and, you know, it's, it's cheap. Um, in the end, those are, if you go with natives, you may not always have the pretty flowers, uh, but you'll end up with a yard you'll usually have far less work on Far less what? Work. Work. Oh, and so, and just, um, if you can, if you were to say maybe like maybe three, five, or just maybe one or two of the maybe plants that people should be at least starting off with to say, okay, if you have no idea what natives even are, you know, you look on the preserve website, you have no idea where to start from. Would you be able to give like recommendations like these are like top three, four, five trees to kind of try to put in your yard or plants or shrubs. I, I couldn't give that top three to five because I think each person's yard is different. So right. it's really about someone saying, hey, I want a specimen tree to go in the center of my yard. You know, I want something that's going to grow fast or I want something that's going to provide shade or I want something that's going to be for butterflies or for birds. So it's really you want to ask those questions first and then try and find the, the tree or shrub that would fit those things that you want to gain in your yard. So I want butterflies and hummingbirds. So I'm going to take this personally now. Like this is this is what I want in my yard. How do I how do I get hummingbirds and how do I get butterflies? Do you know? Uh, well, certainly for butterflies, I would start with the sages, the lantanas. Um, those are great, great butterfly uh, bushes. 
Um, Firebush, uh, Amelia Patton's, that's a great one for uh, hummingbirds. Uh, but hummingbirds will will have a lot of different things that they'll go after, okay. uh, as long as it's got a, a, a long flower. It's like the golden creepers that you get on coastlines. You know, it's a low shrub, but it's covered with little red flowers, and hummingbirds love that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, if you're going to do for butterflies, the, the uh, sages, but also a strongback. That is one that people think of for bush teas. Yeah. And, stuff like that. and it's got an edible fruit you can eat and stuff like that. But butterflies absolutely love that one when it's in flower. Oh, I have to get that then. I know I see in the comments, um, ram's horn is a nice native. What types of animals does that attract? Or is that one of the butterfly ones? Uh, that will attract in some level of butterflies but it's not a long flower so okay. it will put out these powder puffball flowers but within a day or two they're all done uh and that ram's horn is more attracting uh for bringing in birds hmm. so okay. they like to come in when it's in fruit and it'll fruit for an extended period of time you know three four weeks uh and then the, as the fruits open they have this red fleshy what we call an aril a-r-i-l which it holds the fruit on and it's it's red and bright you know, it's bright red and fleshy. So birds come and eat that. And when they do that, then they disperse the seeds out. Nice. Okay. And the last comment I'm going to address, just because I suck at these scientific names. So I'm curious. The Lantana Bahamensis? Yes. That was a great, that's a great one for butterflies. They love the swallowtails love that. The monarchs love that. All the skippers love that one. Oh, uh, nice. And it flowers for a really long period of the year, like Three or four or five months of the year you'll have it in flower all throughout the spring and summer it's covered in butterflies oh wow and what, you, what was the common name for that one uh that's called bahama sage oh oh that's oh that's a sage okay yeah yeah i've always sucked at the the latin i'll just Definitely. say the latin <laughs> but so last question before we wrap up um which is the one that asks all my hosts and this is totally way off of our topic but what is your favorite sea creature and why? And I know that you're a plant guy, but you have to answer this question. Well, I'll, I'll answer this question the way I answer what, what is my favorite plant, uh, which is I don't actually have a favorite plant and I don't actually have a favorite sea creature. Okay. Um, like plants, there are certain sea creatures I like less than others. <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan of the jellyfish. You know, they, they tend to get me. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the sea lice, they, the, you know, kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I, there's others that I don't necessarily like to be around all the time, but I appreciate their tenacity, uh, like a barracuda. I don't really like to swim with them, but I, I appreciate what they do. It's kind of like poison wood. Like, I don't really love poison wood, but I, I appreciate it and what it does. So we're not going to get a definitive if you had to think of a, a top creature, a sea creature. Okay. No, no. I'd see, I just love diversity. And so for mm -hmm. me to look at one creature and be like, oh, I like that creature better than another. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. But you could definitely pick out the ones you dislike. Like less. <laughs> like less. Yeah. Oh man, Ethan, you're going to mess up my after season content. Everybody was able to at least give their favorite of the day. What is the first one you kind of comes to your mind? Like you can even just say the, the Sweeting Spawn Seahorse. I certainly uh, love that one. That's a great animal, but I love the sea turtles here as well. I think those are super cool. And I don't know. There's like we were in the in the pond the other night uh, doing night circle and all the bioluminescence that was going on. Like those are creatures, you know. They were doing cool stuff. 
Listen, when I get down to Eleuthero and I won't disclose my dates on the show, I want to go and do a night snorkel again. Like I always talk about that, that magical experience of that bioluminescence is just, and even especially when you can see the Milky Way, which I don't know when that happens, but that happened one time I was there. And it, was, oh, it, it happens pretty regularly. There's very little light pollution there. So yeah. I, I saw the Milky Way the other day. Okay, so we'll we'll take a couple of those answers, and I can use that for content after the show and say, although Ethan did not have a favorite, these are some of the ones he likes a little more than jellyfish and sea lice. Yes. But thank you so much, Ethan, for taking time out on your Sunday afternoon to chat with me. This has been long awaited and very overdue, and I'm so happy we finally got to do this. I definitely hope that you'd be willing to come back and talk about different topics related to plants in the future. By all means, by all means. Awesome. And... and we have a comment from Eric. We talk in weeds or seahorses. Clearly, he just joined. You know, you could you could have an argument that those seahorses are a little weedy in that pond. Which, yeah, you actually, you definitely could. When you, yeah. But they're not out of place, so not really. Right, but, but weedy in nature, but not weeds the nouns. And definitely. They're prolific. Humans like them. And I think, you know, that's what it always lands down to, right? Like a Unfortunately, a lot of humans are anthropocentric. Did mm -hmm. I say that? Yeah, there we go. And, and we just kind of look at things based on our use, our like, just like with plants, right? Like, remember I told like, I always would ask you, can I eat that? Can I eat that? And you were like, Lashanti, stop looking at plants as what they can do for you. There's a whole ecosystem out there. And I literally, I'll never forget that moment. It blew my mind because I was like, that is really self-centered of me right like why am i always thinking about well what plants are going to do for me rather than how they complement the entire ecosystem like some weeds do so exactly yeah so definitely this has been very enlightening i hope that all of our viewers have enjoyed the show um and again ethan thank you so much i really i look forward to having you on more shows hopefully we can connect again in the future in person in a nice covid safe environment and yeah and if you have any final words for our guests Oh, nothing other than get out there, keep thinking about plants, being nice to plants. Hug Once a tree. Time, go, go give a tree a hug. There you go. There you go. So thanks to all our viewers. You guys have a great Sunday afternoon. And I will see you next week for our last episode of the season. And until then, I will see you later. All right. You have a good day. <laughs>